Thank you for listening to the Psychiatric Nurse Practitioner Podcast. This is Anna Sanchez, your host. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Ariel Banks, who is a family nurse practitioner. She will discuss about racial inequalities, healthcare disparities, her experiences as a Black provider, and how she is making a change in her community. The key here is the importance of diversity in the advanced practice nursing roles. We will see the importance of representation as providers in healthcare that affects the environment, the institutions that we work in, and how we can make policy change and how we impact the population we serve. Dr. Banks intends to continue to use her nursing skills, her education as a doctor in nursing practice for her advocacy, and to change and improve outcomes in the population she serves. Thank you, Dr. Banks, for being here today. Thank you for listening for the Psychiatric Nurse Practitioner Podcast. This is Ana Sanchez, your host. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Ariel Banks. She's a family nurse practitioner, and she will share with us her insight on racial disparities and what is um, going on right now as an an African-American female in healthcare and how she advocates for her patients within our community. Welcome, Dr. Banks. Thank you for being here. Hey, Anna. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am just so thrilled that you came and that you have today as your day off and uh, to come and, and share with us your insight and your experiences. So please uh, tell us, what do you do? What's your education? Talk to us about that process and what barriers you faced and all of those um, things that you were able to um, you know, go across the hurdles, if I may say that. Gotcha. So I started off in undergrad at Georgia State University, go Panthers. Yay. And I worked for a few years at, um, you know, as a nurse, and then I decided to go back to school. I just felt like I needed to provide a little bit more for my patients. Um, so that's, that's what drove my decision to go back to school. And I graduated um, master's and recently my doctorate from University of Alabama at Birmingham. So, Ooh. so happy to be done. Got my terminal degree. Um, and I've worked in primary care and I recently started venturing into aesthetics. All right. So, uh, creative um, transition for me. So I'm excited. Wow. That must have been, uh, oh, I can just imagine your schedule. Uh, like working in in healthcare and then juggling um, your schoolwork and family and all of that. Oh, for sure. I look back on it now. Like, how in the world did I was I able to do all of that? Because at one point I was working two jobs, going oh. to school full time. Still, you know, you want to see friends, family. So it was definitely uh, a whirlwind, and I, you know, I tried my best to dedicate time to my community as well so it has been a lot it's nice to have a little breather of no school yes 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 I'm so glad what was your project for your DNP 
So I originally started out um, in something that I was passionate about doing um, a hypertension pilot in a local barbershop. So this was targeting um, the African-American community, specifically African-American men. You know, hypertension tends to run rampant in that community. So I was going to be doing blood pressure checks and hypertension education. But because of COVID, I had to switch. So um, I ultimately ended up, along with a colleague of mine, doing, um, we basically generated a care plan for, there's a clinic in Alabama, um, a transitional clinic for women victims of sexual trafficking. So, wow. And they, you know, there's a lot of um, sexually transmitted diseases they suffer from, specifically hepatitis. Mm -hmm. So also suffer from other comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension. So we um, did some research, a deep dive into research to generate a care plan for those that had hepatitis as well as hypertension. Wow. Wow. That is an amazing uh, change. And then, but you pulled it through despite being in the midst of the pandemic and finishing your DNP. That is resiliency at its best. Um, To my professors, they really, you know, made sure that we, they had our backs, gave us so much support, and we honestly could not have done it without our professors. So shout out to them. Wow, that is wonderful. Now you are, um, you have focused on a lot of things in the African uh, American communities. T- talk to us about the racial disparities. Now, being in nursing school, we, we've read research, we've being in a master's degree program, we know that there is such a thing as racial disparities. So tell me about that from your point of view as an African American provider. So, and that's one of the reasons why I... Um, decided to further my education that way I can get a better grasp because being an African-American you experience it differently than being an African-American in healthcare. so just being able to provide that extra support and representation for my patients was really important to me and you know a lot of why African-Americans in particular don't seek health care is you know historically They've been slighted for a few, um, not a few, but a lot of different things that is that have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today, I mean, there's just a lot of covert and overt bias towards African-American patients. So as things as little as differences in BMI and how we look at different um diseases and pathologies within the African-American community versus um, our counterparts. So, and uh, to bring in a modern um, example, there has not been a lot of studies or trials regarding COVID-19 and the vaccines. So Mm -hmm. that's, it's, it's hit the African-American community and the Hispanic community very hard, COVID-19 yes. has. Mm-hmm. And um, there just not have been enough studies. And it's a two, it's a double-edged sword, you know, because of African-Americans' distrust in healthcare, and because of 
bias within healthcare against the African-American community, there's just not enough um, to bridge the gap and to get that much needed education in that realm. Yes, yes. It It is very sad that this has gone on for many, many years in our medicalization of of um, our healthcare system. Plus, it, 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 but it only comes out now that we really see it outright. Although maybe we turned our our heads away from reality, and now here it is: the pandemic. We know that the African American communities, the Latino communities, people of color are are affected a lot more due to this uh, disparity. Um, how, and, and I know I'm going to stress this, uh, you're a, a DNP graduate and that you had um, experience in the field, but you're a family nurse practitioner by training. Right. Is that correct? How, how do you see your patients when they, when they speak with you, since this is a psychiatric nurse practitioner podcast, do they tell you things? Do they share with you their experiences and how do you approach that? So this is a, a common thing in the African-American community called code switching. So when I talk to my black patients, Mm-hmm. It's a little more casual to make them feel more comfortable mm-hmm. and that they are able to tell me things that they wouldn't necessarily tell, you know, a a white provider or someone of another race or ethnicity just because there we there's an established, not even spoken um, trust there. So it's nice that I have that ability to have those conversations that they wouldn't necessarily have or have never had with a healthcare provider. I've seen many patients that they come in and the first thing they say is, you know, I'm so glad that you're black. And go into this dialogue of, you know, this has been my experience with health and, you know, trying to do better and do the right things, you know, go to my yearly physicals and get my blood work and all those things. But just the underlying uncomfortability of seeking, just seeking out healthcare and being able to trust someone or, you know, I've had patients that have been diagnosed with hypertension, but then they don't necessarily trust that they actually have it or they don't trust the medications. They believe, you know, it's just another way for them to get money out of us, you know, having us take these medications that we'll never be able to get off of. So just, it's crazy that it's like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Healthcare in the black community is just not a thing that's really harped on and a lot of times it's, you know, one of those things, like, if you go to the doctor, it's like, oh, why are you going to the doctor? You can just, you know, take this herb or do this and you'll be fine. You don't really need the doctor. So it's part of why why I'm here and why I do what I do is to change that narrative and to get people excited about taking care of themselves and, you know, try to slowly rebuild that trust 
of healthcare in the black community being a positive thing and not a negative thing. Wow, that is amazing. Yes, I, I hear you on the on the distrust because of our history on how we have treated the African American communities. And now that you're there being a provider as a black woman in healthcare, providing healthcare to the African American community, there's better sense of trust in, right. in, in that field. So I, 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 I applaud you for really pushing hard and, and being that provider and using your platform to educate um, the community that you work in. What, uh, tell me about the barriers that you faced um, as a female provider in healthcare. Um, it's been interesting. I mean, within nursing, it's not a, I guess, a huge problem because it's so female dominated. Mm -hmm. However, you know, working in the hospital, working in clinics, you definitely see the, the downplay and, you know, I feel you know, when you're advocating for your patients, I feel like we should be looking at this or we should consider this and it's you know if there's still that dichotomy of you know I've gone to school I've gotten my education there are certain things that I know just because of my background and I've been working in this field however there's always a male counterpart that thinks they know more or they think that you know less and they don't necessarily I don't want to say discredit your credentials, but they, you know, it's just another thing. You're just, you're there. You can do a certain amount in their eyes. Um, but, you know, there's females every day that are out here doing amazing, amazing things that unfortunately we still have to say like, yeah. Oh, the first female to do this or the first female to do this. And it's, Yes, we should, you know, highlight those things, but hopefully one day we can just say, you know, this is the first person to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's great because they did this, not necessarily because she's a female. Yes, yes. It, that minimization of what you can do as a, a black female in healthcare as a provider, and you you still feel it at this time how are you handling your now let's switch now with with being in the hospital how do you handle your caseload during this pandemic and how do you juggle your you being a family nurse practitioner but you also have to kind of teeter-totter with the mental health of your patients it's been and even my, the mental health of myself, it's mm. been crazy. I mean, 2020 has highlighted a lot of things, and especially self-care and mental health, um, especially within healthcare. We've been through a lot this past year, having to deal with our own fears and insecurities and, you know, trauma, and then to go and take care of someone else and their fears and trauma and insecurities and still being that 
go-to person amongst your friends and family when they have questions and it's a lot I've it's allowed me to to be a little more introspective and take time and be okay with taking time because towards the beginning of the pandemic I was working almost every day not not giving myself time to recover and really sit down and think about things and it's so easy to get caught up because you want to help as much as you can um, especially when there's a shortage and there's nurses and doctors and healthcare workers getting sick and mm. they're not able to help. So you just feel like you're just running on fumes at one point. So I was lucky to be able to take a step back and really hone in on how I was feeling and how my feelings affected my care as well. Ah, so you had that awareness that yes, you're getting burnt out from all of these things that is occurring, but then you got to step back and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm losing myself here. Um, how do you process that switching of back and forth? Like, I have to take care of myself, but then I also have to take care of my caseload, my patients. How do you process it, that? How do you switch back and forth? It took a while because as nurses first, we always want to give 100% to our patients and just going back to, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. I myself having a lot of anxiety, especially with the pandemic and then protesting. And I was just drained. Like my mind was always on, on, on. And I just, I just knew that it wasn't a sustainable thing or feeling like I that would not be able to last throughout the pandemic and I knew that I wouldn't be able to give 100% to my patients and 100% to myself so I just you know compartmentalize and you know while I'm at work I give 100% but when I come home I leave that at work yeah. so that I can give 100% to myself and to my family and my friends Yeah, that's a good analogy there that you have to compartmentalize yourself. And and if I'm here, this is what I'm going to be doing so that you can, I guess, decompress is the word. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, decompress uh, there. And then realizing that decompressing is different for everyone. So some people can be around friends and family and decompress, but I realized that I needed to, at least for maybe an hour, to just be by myself, and and it's okay to just lay on the couch, even if, mm. you know, you have a million things that you need to do, but that's part of getting those things done, because going straight into something else after you've had a long day of taking care of other people, you're not going to be able to, it's not going to be productive to jump into something else without checking in with yourself first. Yeah, I hear you on that. Thank you for sharing that insight. And you are right about the emotional toll that um, our country has faced and also you as an African-American female advocating for your patients and for African-Americans, the black community, 
How do you juggle that? Uh, did you get support from your peers? How did you um, mentally walk through those things and still be able to come out and said, yes, I did the right thing. I, I give service to my community. I have to advocate for them because they did not have a voice. Honestly, it was through my peers seeing other people, black or non-black, reach out to me, other nurses, other providers reach out to me saying, you know, I hear you, I see you, and these are the things that I'm struggling with as well. Mm -hmm. And just seeing that I wasn't alone and that it wasn't just all on me because it's easy to feel like, oh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? But it's, you're not the only one working for a better world. You're not the only one wanting betterness. I mean, you're not the only one wanting people to be better. So being around like-minded people and other people doing this work really helped me. That way I didn't feel like I was carrying this burden by myself. Mm. Wow. How, how did you talk to your peers about that? If somebody approaches you and how do you open that conversation? So during the pandemic last year and then, you know, all of the protesting and fighting for racial and social justice, mm -hmm. I became a group of people that were all, you know, basically community organizers trying to find their way and find a better way of doing things and seeking out justice. Um, it would just, it just became like a, a family of this is something that we were always talking about. And although sometimes it still became overwhelming and that sometimes you can necessarily be on all the time, it was nice having that community to go to to say, hey, this happened today. Like, how are you guys doing? How is this affecting you? What is it that we can do about it? So they've approached you because they knew that you were um, fighting and advocating for um, the African-American community as well as being a provider for them and having that um, support. Right, yeah. After I, um, I organized a protest, they reached out to me and were like, you know, this is a community of people like you that are out here doing this work and you know, there's strength in numbers. We're all out here, yeah. individual individuals doing the same thing. Let's come together and make a bigger impact. Yes. So it was a community effort, a group effort of, of, of uh, like a team, not just members, but it was team. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing that you were able to do that. And it was it was very big and how you uh, and I've seen it in the news and how you were able to carry yourself uh, and others to um, advocate for those that are voiceless within our community. Now, let's switch to your patients in your practice. How do you handle challenging patients that uh, we do have patients, right, that won't see you as a provider 
and would prefer right. a Caucasian provider or not an Asian provider because, uh, you know, the stereotypes. How do you maneuver that? How do you process that? Um, I mean, outside, it's you just stay as professional as you can. Like I had a experience where I was precepting a student nurse practitioner and she happened to be white and the patient that we were seeing was white and I'm you know as the preceptor I'm the only licensed provider there however all of the patient's questions and concerns were directed at my student and regardless of what I said you know my student was fumbling she this was maybe her first or second week and she's still learning and I'm trying to provide answers and support and it's, the patient just was not being responsive to me. So mm. at that moment I had to take a step back and say, you know, at the end of the day, this patient still needs help. And I started talking to my student and she was just relaying the information. And at the end of the day, she got her the care that she needed. And it was just a conversation that we had to have afterwards and say you know this may happen and unfortunately it had to happen while you were training but this is just reality of where we are still today and there have been times that I've been like you said turned away and not wanting me as their nurse or their provider so at the end of the day the patient still needs to get treated and helped but is just, you know, reaffirms how far we still need to go. Mm. Wow, you took the high road in that situation, or I'm sure many countless situations that you are in where it's uncomfortable, uh, but then stepping back and still provide the best care that your patient would need. That is amazing. How did your... Um, student uh take that how did she understand did she ha I, i guess gain some perspective on how it is to be an a black provider in a community where you have caucasian patients that are not receptive to that kind of uh uh patient um, provider relationship i hope that she did i hope that she was able to gain some insight and perspective with that situation. I didn't necessarily harp too much on the racial piece. However, mm -hmm. you know, I did mention that I was uncomfortable and how that situation was perceived to me. But, you know, she's still learning and she was still flustered, because she didn't feel as though she had the answers that the patient was seeking. But hopefully she got something out of that conversation and it allows her to, when she's treating African-American patients, to be a little more sympathetic and try a little more. Because I know that a lot of Black patients can give a lot of pushback mm -hmm. because they're scared and because they're distrust distrusting. So... <clears throat> Hopefully she thinks about that incident when she encounters 
someone of another race or ethnicity and has a little more compassion. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish that for her too. And and let that be a, a, a lesson, a, a, a guidance for her when she becomes a provider herself. Yeah. What, what did you learn, Dr. Banks, about your journey um, as a nurse, as a family nurse practitioner, and now as a doctor in nursing practice? What did you learn about yourself being a female, um, being African-American? I learned that, you know, in the midst of all my goals and accomplishments and the things that I wanted to get done for myself like all of this is bigger than me and I'm here for a bigger purpose and I'm just Mm -hmm. a part of building a better world like it's you know all nurses go into it wanting to help people but I found throughout the process and throughout you know my experiences as a black nurse and then a black provider that I need to be here for those that aren't able to voice their opinions or when they do voice their opinions, they're not listened to. So I need to be that person that's listening and I need to be that person that's seeking out those individuals that have never pursued healthcare or that have been thinking about it, but thinking that they don't have the capacity to do it or they don't have the grades to do it or we just need more representation we need more compassion and we need more people that are willing to listen and make those small changes that will make that person feel more comfortable speaking to them and getting the care that they need yeah I agree with you 100% on that one, Dr. Banks. How do you advocate for your fellow nurses who are African-Americans? And how do you um, kind of pull them and say, hey, this is what we need. We need representation. We need that trust uh, so that we can help our community. Um, Leading by example and Mm. not being too far ahead to lend a helping hand you know you're never I always think especially now being done with school thinking how thinking back on how I felt when I was in undergrad and going to nursing school thinking like oh you know this is hard and I can't do this and seeing those black nurses my black professors black providers and being like I would I want to be like you one day. And it wasn't necessarily a thing that they said, or it's just how they they lived their life and how they practiced and seeing how amazing they were. And to think like somebody is looking up to me like that now that I need to continue to reach out and hopefully, you know, help them along their way and help them with their journey and just realizing that, somebody's always looking at you and hopefully it's that that little black girl that little black boy that's aspiring to be like you oh i want to grow up like you yes yes because that's representation right there and that is a an amazing breakthrough that you're able to have those moments and seeing your your peers needing and not 
not run away from them because you're now a DNP, but but like what you said, just kind of be alongside with them and pull them up and share with them your your experiences and how you can um, encourage them to do the same thing when they're ready, right? Right. Because I always remember, you always have to remember somebody helped you. So you need, and then one day you may be that person that may able to, may be able to help somebody else. And you can't forget, there are plenty of people in healthcare that are not perceptive to helping someone else because they think it's a competition. And, you know, with any discipline, there's this feeling of I have to be better than anybody else, but we can't be better without other people and other people there to challenge us and it's not an individual effort it's you're going to be a part of the team wherever you are so you might as well help people along the way so that you know at the end of the day we're trying to provide the best quality care for our patients and we can't do that by ourselves Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. And it's a team effort again, like what you said. You cannot just do it alone because the patients need us. Your patients need you, uh, no matter what kind of ethnic background they are in. What did you learn from 2020, the pandemic, the protests? What did you learn about yourself and that? Um, the biggest thing I feel like I learned in 2020 was to take time. Like I, you know, with protesting and the pandemic and it was easy to get caught up and feel like you needed to do something every minute of every day and for that to still not be enough, but you have to take time for yourself and not get too wrapped up in everything or else you'll you're going to fall into a black hole I've started mm-hmm. feeling some anxiety and sadness every time I would turn on the tv or go to social media there would be a new face a new name that we would have to learn and life is going to keep going there's going to be bad things that happen good things that happen so you have to be able to take solace within yourself so that way you can put on your best face and put your best foot forward to do the work that you want to do. Wow. Thank you for sharing that insight. Dr. Banks, tell me what you're grateful now. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful that more people are listening and more people are educating themselves and seeking out those uncomfortable conversations and paying attention, putting themselves in other shoes. Because although this has been a fight that's been going on for decades Mm -hmm. and centuries, (laughs) Centuries, right? Yeah. It's more and more apparent to people and people are having those aha moments, those epiphanies of, wow, people are actually going through this or I actually was able to experience this firsthand or, you know, what can I do? People are reaching out to me asking me what they can do. And I just feel so grateful for that, that they are, because that takes strength and that takes 
courage and it takes humble. I mean, it takes you being humble to be able to recognize that about yourself and to try to be better. Yeah, that humility is important, right? And 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 like what you said, be humble, and 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 take it in, but then know that you have the courage, know that you have the strength to pull and build the community back up. Give me three adjectives, Doctor Banks, about yourself. Hmm. I know I can think of a lot. <laughs> It's always hard to talk about. I know. Yourself, right? Yeah, because um, you're you're in that um, in that uh, caregiving role as a provider. We we don't think about ourselves. We only think of our patients. But then, yeah, give give me three. I would have to say um, positive, strong, and. Compassionate, mm, mm. and those are, are you. Th- those three adjectives. That's that's definitely, definitely you. Um, as far as mental health, um, how would you talk to your patients about that care, and how would you talk to other providers about mental health care for your patients as well as themselves? So I always look at the patient as a whole. It's easy to get caught up in, especially as a family nurse practitioner, and look at just the physicality of the patient. Mm-hmm. But these are there are so many other aspects of the patient that contribute to their physical health. So mental health being first and foremost, um, and then how they approach care, how they perceive health how they perceive their health and all of the social determinant health determinants of health mm-hmm. that go along with um, being able to take care of their physical health. So I always say, you know, <clears throat> right now we are focusing on X, Y, and Z. However, don't forget about the rest of the alphabet. There's so many other things that go into taking care of your hypertension and you need to not put those on the back burner and have, you know, sometimes you may need to pull on this one area. However, it's all a part of the bigger picture of your whole self. And so speaking with my colleagues, I say, you know, don't get too wrapped up in treating this disease or this comorbidity or what have you without thinking about the other aspects that may contribute to that. And that's especially true for the social determinants of health. You can prescribe this medication for someone, but if they don't have the means to pay for it, or if they, they aren't receptive to the diagnosis and they, you know, don't have that family support or even, you know, that trust that you have their best interests at heart, it doesn't matter that you prescribe the medication and that you diagnose the right thing. So it's all, it, it all goes hand in hand and you can't do one without the other. Yeah. It's, it's that wholeness of patient care. It's not just the, like what you said, the physicality of, of the diagnosis, 
but what's going on mentally as well. And I think that your approach, I see your approach and how you care for your patients, that you think about their physical health, their mental health. We think about their, um, you also think about their spiritual health and the social aspect of it. It all comes together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How do you collaborate with your peers as providers when you see, um, you know, that there are issues with medications, costs, and and needing mental health care and need, needing physical care? How do you approach that? I always humble myself, and I know that I can't do it alone, so I'm always one to lean on others for their expertise for, you know, where I may know a a lot about a particular aspect, someone else may know more or they may know more about something else that may help my patients. So at the end of the day, whatever it is that we can do in order to provide the best care and not, you know, I know over the years, healthcare has become very very much a business and very monetized. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm always thinking of, you know, yes, you're here today and you're able to pay for this visit, but are you going to be able to pay for this medication? And how, you know, I'm calling, when I call in the medication, do you guys accept good RX? And are you guys asking about that when they Mm -hmm. get there? And trying to navigate that before the patient even gets to the pharmacy. That way there are no, surprises so they get there and they're asking for a hundred dollars and it's like oh wow I just spent all this money just to get here so just being aware of other options and there's always an alternative and there's always something else that you can do something else that you can learn yeah thank you for looking at that aspect where you know, you, you check online, how much is this? Is, is this medication on the $4 list, right? Can the patient right. even afford it? I mean, they just came by bus to see you. And then $100 medication, there's no way. There's no way that they're going to take it, right? And we are aware as well uh, with research and how a lot of these pharmaceutical companies have not really focused on the... Uh, other populations uh, to do their research for medications. What are the side effects of these medications to the African-American communities or the Latino communities or the Asian communities? It's mostly uh, for white uh, Caucasian population that these research have gone through. Right. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, there I've come across patients that have been prescribed certain medications for hypertension or diabetes. I'm like, there are better alternatives for you because you're black or for you because, you know, you're of this ethnicity or racial background Mm -hmm. that yes, this is the go-to for a white person. However, this, there's something else that works better. And it's just taking that moment of, you know, because it's easy to get wrapped up in a routine and a lot of things, especially within your specialty, become second nature. But you need to, and that's, again, going back to looking at the whole patient and not just looking at someone on paper. 
Yes, yes, that first-line medication, here it is, but is it good for my right. patient that I'm taking care of right now at this moment? I, I totally agree. I totally agree and that you have to look at it holistically. Dr. Banks, what's next for you? I'm excited for what <laughs> is to come because I know you would go so, so far. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, so there are a couple of things in the works. I'm trying to pursue academia, but I've also, because of the work I've been doing um, in the community, several people have said that I should look into policy. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, exploring that and trying to listen to what others are telling me Um so we'll see. It's um, to be determined. Yeah, you're going to surprise us, but it, it would be a lot of wonderful things that you can uh, do for us, for the community. And if it's policy, it is, then policy it is. Um, but I will be collaborating with you once again. And it, it is amazing to see you and meet you and um, see your energy and your vibe that you um, share with, with us. I appreciate you. I thank you for your time. Anything else that you would like to share with us? Um, just remember to take care of yourself and then all the other things will fall into place. Aww. Remember where you came from. Oh, that is a good advice. Take care of yourself and remember where you came from. Service, right? You serve the community. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Banks, for talking with me today. I truly appreciate your time. I truly appreciate your expertise. And I hope to uh, invite you next time again on your journey and uh, share with us your future endeavors. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Psych Nurse Practitioner Podcasts is a weekly podcast where I share with you my passion in the field of psychiatry. My hope is to build a community where we can have empathy and compassion for those struggling with mental health conditions. Find me on Instagram at Anna Sanchez underscore psych underscore NP and at Psychiatric Nurse Practitioner and subscribe to my podcasts. Thank you. The Psych Nurse Practitioner podcast does not constitute for a medical or psychiatric advice. This podcast is not intended to replace professional psychiatric assessment. The ideas expressed in this podcast do not reflect the position of the speakers, authors, and affiliated medical and nurse practitioner organizations. Welcome to the Psychiatric Nurse Practitioner Podcast. This is Ana Sanchez, your host. Today, we will be talking about cultural psychiatry. Now, according to Fernando in 1988 and 
1982, transcultural psychiatry is concerned on how different ethnic groups are treated by mental health workers that are socialized in the many different ways on the dominant culture. We as psych nurse practitioners need to be aware on how their behaviors and their thoughts are manifested in mental health and how we view them in our practice. Now, according to Kerr Mayer and Minus, who emphasized that cultural psychiatry has evolved over the years and has come a long way. It has developed from a long cross-cultural comparative study of psychiatric disorders when it comes to traditional healing, and there is an effort to respond to mental health needs for culturally diverse populations that includes immigrants, refugees, the LGBTQ community, women, and indigenous population. Lastly, cultural psychiatry is the ethnographic study of psychiatry as a product of specific cultural history. Cultural psychiatry involves a thorough understanding of the impact of cultural differences on mental illness. It is concerned about the social impact on how is the plan of treatment of mental illness is you know, uh, addressed. Cultural psychiatry is very important in the way we deliver psychiatric care by learning about different cultures and their human experiences that is viewed from their perspective, but used in our practice in the psychiatric realm. Cultural psychiatry should be viewed and emphasized that mental health of non-majority populations are identified in the culture-bound syndromes. Now, culture-bound syndromes reflect on uh, the mental illness on, as you look at colonialism as well. Cultural psychiatry trains the providers and clinicians to develop cultural competence in the assessment of the multitude of diverse populations that we care for in our clinics. Cultural psychiatry also emphasizes the understanding of the different social determinants of mental health. Why is it important that we have to be educated culturally in the field of psychiatry? As a psych nurse practitioner, we have to be aware that due to globalization, travel, and there will be many different ethnic groups that are prevalent in the cities that we work in. The patient population that you treat in your clinical practice has very distinct culture that makes them truly unique and has truly unique needs. You, as the psych nurse practitioner, needs to consider the issues that your patient went through so that you can consider also new solutions to the problems that they may have dealt with in the many years under the colonial mentality or the mentality of the majority of the population. You need to be aware of their oppressors, who these oppressors were, and how oppression has affected their mental health. Look at their uh, politics in their, con uh, in their context, in their cultures is very important as well, so that you have a wider lens in looking into their problems. As the provider, you need to look at the different models that enhances diversity. These models help you as the clinician as you promote inclusion in the social realm 
and illu also illuminate disparities. Having the awareness of resources will increase their cultural skills so that your patient can thrive in the new environment that they live in. Advocating for your patients to have practical applications will make them more resilient in the communities that they work, uh, work in. It is very important for a good clinician like you to be able to understand the many complex ways on how culture comes about where there's power struggles in the relationships and how their ethnicity is expressed in the societal structures. Cultural psychiatry looks at the wide array of studies. So it's not only just cultural psychiatry that you have to, to learn with. You have to include the health services, the sciences, anthropology, statistics, philosophy, the geographical maps of where they came from and how they traveled and came to your practice. We need to look at epidemiology, sociology, women's studies, and research on the LBTQ communities. We need to be aware of the migrant patterns, um, where the refugees are located and what kind of things that they have undergone through. And we also look at the psychology when you're treating the patients. You as a psych nurse practitioner needs to empower your patient population that you care for. By being in tuned of their particular needs as a cultural group, you as the nurse practitioner will be able to assist them in the environment that they live in now. Having the awareness that your patient is very different from you as the provider is critical in the understanding of your patient's perspective. You need to examine the role of the culture where your patient is coming from and how mental illness came about and how important it is to understand that their cultural therapies may be very different from yours and um, that they may be involved in, in different therapies that you may not be aware of as well. So you need to be able to ask these kinds of questions, open-ended questions. Having the awareness of their social um, hierarchy within their culture is very important as well. And then the many nuances, there are many nuances that uh, make them as a unique group that will make you a better provider in um, mental health care. You as a psych nurse practitioner have to be aware of the complementary alternative treatments that they use in their cultures. You need to be aware of the migrant population and how to address their needs by having an understanding of their cultures. You need to look at uh, complex trauma, what trauma um, they have endured with, what kind of things and issues that they have dealt with as a migrant population or as an LGBTQ um, uh, patient. As the provider, you need to be aware of the cultural bound syndromes that we've talked about and how your patient understands the treatment in your practice. Be open. As a psych nurse practitioner, you need to be aware of the different cultures that where they come from and the high level of organization within their culture and in their schema. If you are treating a patient from a different culture, you need to be aware of their values, what, they, what their needs are, their way of life, and how they view things in their own world from their perspective and how it may be very different from your own cultural views. 
be aware of the different models in mental health care for multicultural societies, such as the imperial model, uh, the folk or ethnic model, the multicultural model, and the republican model. And we will delve into these different models of mental health care in different podcasts in the future. Cultural bound syndromes are cognitive, affective, and behavioral manifestations that are very specific to one's culture. Culture bound syndromes are cultural concepts of distress in the expression of suffering and when they are healing. There can be aberrant behaviors or experiences that may not be found in the DSM-5, but these syndromes are, uh, are observed and is very limited to specific cultures and societies. Having these awareness that there are culture-bound syndromes, you as the professional may learn about this in nature, how to diagnose them and treat it to a specific culture-balanced syndrome, okay? Another example of culture-bound syndromes are the Arctic hysteria, where Arctic hysteria is very common in the Inuit population where one can have an erratic behavior, but one has to look at the social context within their culture. We need to be very sensitive to the impact of colonialism uh, in other cultures that have cultural-bound syndromes. And explorers uh, that have gone into their cultures and changed their cultures. As a provider in the Western culture, how do you view this culturally bound syndromes? Do you as the psych nurse practitioner view, as, view these cultural bound syndromes of hallucinations? How do you reevaluate delusions and thought disorders in a particular cultural setting? One cultural setting may find these symptoms consistent with schizophrenia, but very different from your knowledge of what schizophrenia is from their perspective. Another uh, example of um, culture-bound syndromes is ataque de nervios, which is very common in the Latin cultures, but according to your DSM-5, it may be considered panic attacks in our, in our Western medicine, where a patient due to extreme stress can have increased anxiety, they may have increased agitation, they may have self-injurious behavior uh, in their cultural context. Patients in the Latin community is aware of this ataque de nervios. You as a psych nurse practitioner need to have this awareness of these cultural bound syndromes and how it is dealt with in their community where they live. So those are two examples of uh, culture bound syndromes. We need to be aware that we may have distorted reflections due to our own cultural biases and preoccupations. We, as a psych nurse practitioner, need to understand our patient worlds and their cultural perspectives and not put in our own cultural assumptions on how they deal with stress. Cultural psychiatry looks at women also who have higher PTSD rates and other affective disorders, but there's less research on this on women and mental health and also reproductive health. An effective provider like you will look at cultural psychiatry in the assessment of all these different populations from the LGBTQ community, the uh, refugees, the indigenous people and migrant populations. Cultural psychiatry should also assess how to increase their access in mental health care needs. Cultural psychiatry needs to look at psychopharmacology 
and how different psychotropic medications may react differently in different populations due to pharmacogenetics, the environment, uh, their compliance, their factors in treatment of the, of the minorities, and how they view medications as well. As a clinician, you need to be aware of the different spiritual beliefs in the patient population that you um, see and how it affects their mental health. Many patients from different cultures use their spiritual pillars effectively. So look at these strengths within their culture. According to the DSM diagnostic, intercultural bound syndromes are limited to specific societies and cultures that are very localized. Now, as a provider, you need to be aware of the social injustice in mental health. We need to be aware of the history of the movement of refugees, uh, the migrant workers. We need to be aware of human trafficking. We need to be aware of the needs of the LGBT communities as well. As a psych nurse practitioner, you need to address the lessons learned on how to provide high quality mental health services in the underserved communities. Using appropriate language will enhance communication between you and your patient. You as the nurse practitioner will have to remove and continue to remove stigma in mental health, and this should be a priority. As a provider, you need to speak for diversity and inclusion and its importance and why we need this in our practice. Using verbiage such as survivor instead of victim can change that um, phenomenon as well. We need to be the voice of the voiceless. We need to demand, uh, demand diverse services for our patients and ethnic communities and in the black communities and in other, other communities that you care for. We need to educate our peers, our colleagues about the importance of cultural psychiatry. We need to continue to refine our practice and make it better as we move forward in the advocacy for all our patients. Let us continue to address healthcare disparities in our field. Let us look at the inequity so that we may move towards uh, the right direction for better and positive outcomes for our patient population that we deeply care about. As we continue to care for our patients from different cultures, we need to intimately engage in their culture so that we may increase our knowledge and so that they have again the positive outcomes while we service a wide range of diverse populations and incorporate our cultural awareness and our knowledge in their care. Thank you so much for listening to the Psych Nurse Practitioner podcast. This is Ana Sanchez, your host. Today, we have talked about cultural psychiatry and its importance. Until next time, thank you.